Welcome to WOMA's series on Occupational and Environmental Medicine Updates, where today's podcast is titled, Commute, Work, Repeat, What About Sleep? We are joined by Dr. Nate Clapp to discuss his interest in promoting sleep as part of workplace wellness programs. My name is Dr. David Coretto, and I am today's moderator. WOMA is the Western Regional Component of the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. We have designed these WOMA podcasts to be a tool and a benefit for WOMA members to stay current on topics of interest to occupational and environmental medicine physicians. The WOMA Education Committee members involved in planning this session have no relevant financial relationships to disclose, and neither does our speaker. National surveys show that poor or insufficient sleep and sleep disorders affect at least 30% of U.S. adults. Approximately 10% of the U.S. population has had insomnia that occurred every night for at least two weeks, but has not disclosed it to their healthcare provider. During the recent COVID pandemic, research has found that while the average adult is getting an hour of extra sleep each week, nearly one in four adults have admitted that their quality of sleep was, quote, worse than ever, as they were kept awake by worries and changes in their routine. On an individual level, we've all asked ourselves the question at some moment in time, am I getting enough sleep or is the sleep I'm getting restful enough? Dr. Nate Clapp is a recent, very recent graduate of the Occupational and Environmental Medicine Residency at University of California, San Francisco, finishing on June 30th, 2020. He completed his undergraduate studies at the University of California, San Diego. He obtained his medical degree at the Uniform Services University of Health Sciences, Bethesda, Maryland, in 2000. Dr. Clapp is board certified in family medicine, completing his residency at Naval Hospital in Pensacola, Florida. He is a Navy veteran, serving as a family physician and flight surgeon in a variety of duty stations in the United States, overseas, and on ship. He obtained a Master's of Science with a focus on emergency and disaster management from Toro University International in 2008 and completed a Master's of Public Health at the University of California, Berkeley in 2019. Welcome, Dr. Clapp. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Thank you for having me, Dr. Credo. It's, it's great to be here. This is such a timely topic, especially when we think about promoting self-care strategies to our colleagues, our patients, and ourselves during periods of high stress. How did you get interested in the topic of sleep and well-being? So there are a number of experiences in my career that got me interested in this topic of sleep and well-being. First, just like every other physician, I gained the appreciation for sleep once I regularly began getting less of it because of my career. Uh, my time during medical school and family medicine residency personally taught me uh, the connection between insufficient and disrupted sleep and the reduced sense of physical, emotional, and cognitive well-being, as I'm sure every other physician has experienced in their uh, career. <clears throat> the day after our overnight call was never fun, and especially uh, when you had clinic or a lot of ward work or social functions you had to be uh, well-rested for and um, you know, up to par uh, in dealing with those situations. Uh, second, when I was a Navy flight surgeon, a lot of my time and effort was directed at mitigating fatigue, and fatigue was uh, the most common contributing factor for, for, for fatigue was uh, poor sleep in the pilots, <clears throat> and this is a, one of the biggest risk factors for an aviation mishap. So we spent a lot of time focusing on this uh, during deployment. The military pilots had uh, um, a lot of other 
time or mission related factors that affected their uh, the, the time they could sleep, the amount they can sleep, um, and just frequent changing of their rotation uh, sleep rotations. So that was a lot of uh, my job as a flight surgeon was to try and help mitigate those issues and take care of those pilots so they could safely do their mission. Third, during uh, my residency here at UCSF, I I saw a lot of patients who commuted within one to two hours each way. So large commutes clearly affect the amount of time they have available to sleep and the time they have to be awake. Um, and then they also complained of uh, you know, frequently rotating shifts or they engage in shift work, which also affects their ability to get quality sleep. Lastly, the, the thing that really got me excited uh, and made me want to talk about this for my grand rounds during residency was uh, the book called Why We Sleep, Unlocking the Power of Sleep and Dreams by Dr. Matthew Walker, who is a professor of neuroscience and psychology at the University of California, Berkeley. It was recommended to me by one of the psychologist colleagues of mine in the Navy. Uh, I found it an amazing summary of the problems of insufficient sleep and other sleep disorders uh, and how they can interact your health and um, how they interact with society. Dr. Walker spends a lot of time on the adverse health conditions associated with poor sleep, and especially what's important is um, to us as occupational medicine physicians is the interaction between work and sleep, such as how many things related to work affect the opportunity to, uh, for someone to get an adequate night's rest, and how poor sleep is associated with lost productivity, increased injury rates, and increased rates of temporary disability. Um, so one plug for the book is it's available in a number of public libraries on uh, either ebook or audiobook, and uh, you can get it on, um, on your smart, smartphone app like Overdrive. So easy to get for free and check it out. Highly recommend it. Thank you for sharing um, your background in this topic. I think it's very interesting how there's really this continuum across different stages of your career and experiences you've had around this connection between sleep and performance and the role that plays on risks and errors. Um, I, I think what you're really highlighting is this topic of sleep efficiency, which I find fascinating um, because it really applies that the quality of sleep is as important as the number of hours of sleep. How is sleep efficiency measured and what are some of the outcomes associated with high sleep efficiency? So sleep efficiency is a uh, concept that a lot of people aren't very um, knowledgeable of, and, and one of the things I learned about during my uh, preparation for, the, uh, for this. And so sleep efficiency is the uh, ratio of the actual amount of time you are asleep divided by the total amount of time spent in bed, and it's calculated as a percentage. So if you lay in bed for, uh, awake for an hour over the course of the night and you get about eight hours, you're gonna be somewhere around um, just under 90% sleep efficiency. Uh, what's interesting is that someone who gets adequate amounts of sleep but lays in bed restless for an hour or two will have reduced sleep efficiency versus someone who gets less sleep but spends a little time awake in bed and, and wakes up with um, only when their alarm clock gets them up. In regards to outcomes associated with high sleep efficiency, two studies by Lucas Peters and his colleagues in 2019 and Ryan Olson and his colleagues in 2014 found improved sleep ratings um, for either depressive symptoms or their overall sense of being by the subject. Additionally, they, the subjects found um, improved ratings of their sleep quality or the sense of restfulness upon awakening in the morning. Interesting. Um... So I'm, I'm curious, when in your research um, and in preparations, is there a, 
optimal percentage of uh, sleep efficiency that is the goal that you'd want a patient or a population to achieve to benefit from some of the positive outcomes with high sleep efficiency? So 90% is the target goal. Um, and um, that's one of the the focuses for uh, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Uh, the mental health specialist will focus on getting you to um, it's, um, restrict your sleep until you get nine, um, to 90%. And then uh, you can add um, small increments of additional sleep per week. Um, and um, as long as you're continually getting 90% sleep efficiency until you reach a time of adequate sleep for um, between seven and nine hours. Conversely, what are some of the negative effects of poor sleep efficiency? So there are a number of studies that have looked at the health effects of impaired sleep. So in addition to the, the cognitive and emotional effects of irritability, impaired memory, mood, and attention, all these are, are, are parts of the diagnosis of sleep disorders and easily recognize that when you, your sleep efficiency and your total sleep is, is impaired, these are things that we, we typically experience. But there's lots of health consequences that have been associated with sleep. Um, so in, in children, there's increased odds of obesity, especially in boys. So in children, obesity is, is so shortened sleep increases the odds of obesity in children, especially in boys who had two and a half times the odds of obesity compared to boys getting recommended amounts of sleep for their age. One of the famous studies that I looked at was the nurse health study, um, which cohort of over 70,000 female nurses that has looked at a variety of um, health conditions. Uh, in regards to sleep, the participants self-reported their average hours of sleep at the beginning of the study. Ten years later, those women who had either reported less than five hours or more than nine hours of sleep had relative risks of around 1.4 um, for having um, being diagnosed cor with coronary artery disease um, at that later stage. And then also between 1.15 and 1.42 for all-cause mortality 13 years after the start of the study. Um, those were found based on the medical records. What was interesting for that was uh, that eight hours also had slightly increased risk of uh, all-cause mortality compared to seven hours. So clearly there's a range that's optimum, but no definite, you know, specific duration. Additionally, um, there was an arm of the study that looked at risk for diabetes, and um, and that study only found an increased risk, um, relative risk of 1.3 for developing type 2 diabetes within 10 years of, of, the, of the start of the study. Nothing was found for, uh, there's no um, significant association with uh, reduced sleep for diabetes. Other studies that have reported increased risk of prostate and colorectal cancer in subjects with reduced sleep. Uh, whereas there's all there's been some several studies looking at breast cancer, but those have been have had mis mixed results. So some have been um, positive for increased risk of of breast cancer, whereas others showed no difference based on the amount of sleep that they, uh, the women had. I think that really dovetails well with um, what you mentioned about your interest in shift work. Um, as individuals are working at different hours, different times a day, sometimes contrary to their own circadian rhythm, and we know that sleep disorders are particularly associated with employees who perform um, shift work. In addition to promoting sleep hygiene, what are some other possible interventions that might assist this population? So I suspect many of us are well aware of the concept of sleep hygiene, which is really just cleaning up those negative behaviors that we've developed over our life that contribute to worsened sleep and restfulness. Some tenets of sleep hygiene include going to bed and awakening at the same time every day, 
using the bedroom for sleep and sex, not consuming caffeine or ex exercising too close to bedtime, and getting out of bed after 15 to 20 minutes if you've not yet fallen asleep. Sleep hygiene plays a major role in, in a more intensive treatment for chronic insomnia, which is also known as cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, also known as CBTI. This is a set of regular therapy sessions with a mental health specialist, but it has also been effectively administered by primary care physicians as well as nurses, and focuses on imp improving sleep hygiene, mindfulness, or relaxation techniques, and restricting sleep until sleep efficiency, which we discussed earlier, uh, reaches 90% or higher, and then slowly adding more time in bed until both adequate total sleep time and sleep efficiency are reached. CBTI is more effective than pharmacotherapy for treating insomnia, which is great because the sleep medications are not without side effects. One of the studies I previously mentioned by Lucas Peter and his colleagues from last year was the first study to compare online CBTI versus in-person CBTI. The target population was shift workers who often have impaired sleep due to a sleep schedule that does not match their natural circadian rhythm. Additionally, they may not seek treatment or be able to regularly make in-person CBT sessions without missing work or missing out on sleep, both of which may be perceived as a worse consequence than the sleep problems itself. In this way, shift workers are truly a vulnerable population. The study group was split into two equal groups and underwent four sessions of CBTI and performed a sleep diary focusing on bedtime, awakening time, awakenings during the sleep period, and the time between going to bed and falling asleep, also known as sleep, sleep latency. The complete, they completed a number of questionnaires addressing well-being and depression symptoms, as well as sleep quality or restfulness ratings. In just four weeks, both the online CBTI group and the in-person group demonstrated improvements in sleep efficiency and all of the self-reporting scores I mentioned earlier. What was really interesting is that neither group had improvements in their total sleep, but significantly reduced their time in bed, which therefore increased total sleep efficiency. So there must be something about sleep efficiency that plays a role in our sense of restfulness when we awaken in the morning, since their total sleep time did not change, only their sleep efficiency. And I really appreciated the fact that this study targeted shift workers, and these improvements occurred in just four weeks. Now we will likely have more treatment options for this group of workers. What's nice about CBTI, as you dis, uh, discuss and as the data show, um, is that it makes it accessible to individuals um, so that they can engage on their own free time in a way that eliminates commuting to an actual office. I think this could be something that could be rolled out broadly into workplace populations, which I th really speaks to, you know, workplace wellness programs traditionally do focus on nutrition and physical activity. But you make a great case here today that sleep efficiency uh, should be included in any wellness strategy. What are some of the health and economic outcomes to employers who decide to promote restful sleep uh, to their employee populations that you found in your review? Well, this gets to the heart of what we do as occupational medicine physicians by working to improve the workplace uh, and the health of, our, of worker patients. So especially since workers spend um, so much time during the week at their workplace that this is a, this is a place where we, we need to intervene. So clearly any intervention that's going to be implemented by an employer, there, um, there has to be some benefit. Um, otherwise, they're not likely to do it. There may be some companies that will do it out of the goodness of their heart, but there's got to be some bottom line that, that makes a difference. Uh, and these were well addressed by, in a study by Wayne Burton and his colleagues uh, uh, that was printed in the Journal of Occupational Environmental 
medicine in 2017. So they looked at employees at a Fortune 100 multinational firm uh, with multiple offices in the United States, and the the, the subject group were U.S. workers. The uh, so what they did was they collected. Um, uh, de-identified results of their uh, self-reported, uh, these were voluntary um, health risk assessments that the employees completed. And the health risk assessments combined questionnaires regarding amounts of sleep and quality of sleep, as well as a number of other you know, self-reported health they engage in, such as smoking, what their exercise, and a number of other things. Um, and, and some health common health conditions like high blood pressure or obesity and diabetes. Um, additionally, they uh, the researchers got information from the employer um, that included number of work, uh, missed work days for, uh, for each employee, as well as temporary disability claims and health insurance costs, such as medical costs and pharmaceutical costs. And what was really, really interesting about this was that um, they compared the number of self-reported sleep hours to all these different factors I just mentioned. And so between seven and nine hours seemed to be the optimal amount of sleep compared to these these other out, these outcomes. Um, and everything else had this U-shaped curve, if you'll imagine. Um, the farther you go away from seven to nine hours, the, um, the higher, num the more number of associated health risks that the person would have, the higher the number of, the higher percentage of employees that had submitted a short-term disability claim, um, the higher the healthcare costs, as well as the number of, of workers with um, greater than six or, uh, or more missed work days. So a lot of these factors uh, clearly play a role in uh, when, when sleep is deprived or for, for some reason excessive as well, they, um, there's all these outcomes that affect the workplace. And, and additionally, the health risk assessment that they've performed uh, contains some questions regarding how effective and productive were they at work or were they distracted, those kind of things. And that helps kind of uh, combine into a term that we call presenteeism, which is roughly their productivity or how much of their productivity is affected at work on account of typically medical conditions, but can also be included in other um, psychosocial uh, factors that may play a role. Um, uh, a role in disrupting their attention focus and their functionality at work. So if you take a look at all of those uh, negative consequences that are associated with disrupted sleep, you know, it, it points to, to us in the direction of if you start working towards improving that, there's a good likelihood that we're going to find uh, some um, presenteeism, lost ap uh, less absenteeism at work, and for increased productivity, they're going to have less cost that they're paying out for um, uh, employee health plans, and and then there's been there have been other studies that sh um, showed the association between poor sleep and increased numbers of workplace accidents or injuries, and so all those combined to a monetary as well as productivity, uh, just the ability to do your uh, to deliver your job as the company. Uh, it, it affects those things. Um, so therefore, we, we, we need to be working on implementing workplace interventions that, uh, that can help turn that, uh, that tide in the other direction. It truly sounds like the health and economic benefits of promoting sleep within a workplace population are enormous. 
Dr. Clapp, thank you for your call to action to occupational medicine physicians and providers to um, promote uh, sleep efficiency and strategies for a restful um, workforce to employers and providing us with some different approaches uh, for, for having these discussions. Thank you, Dr. Credo. It was absolutely my pleasure. Appreciate being here. On behalf of the WOMA Education Committee, the WOMA Board of Directors, and myself as moderator of this podcast, I want to sincerely thank our speaker, Dr. Nate Clapp, and also thank those of you who listened. The goal of these WOMA podcasts is to update you on a topic of current interest to occupational medicine. We know that this topic raises many more questions, and we hope that this information will generate further interaction beyond this podcast.